It was a day of highs and lows in American soccer. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. With me, as always, is Ivan Skolarsep. What's up, man? How's it going, Garrett? It's going well, man. Just, uh, you know, it was a very, very roller coaster type of day today, Ivis. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's it's pretty eventful uh, 24 to 48 hours, not just in, you know, World Cup qualifying in Europe and obviously the U.S. with their another less than stellar performance. Uh, what else? You got Orlando City partying it up as they get MLS Team 21. And you yourself tasted championship glory with your <laughs> co-ed team. We're not gonna we're not gonna bore our reader our listeners with too much of it, but you got to share a little bit about this triumphant victory, this co- this, this upset victory you guys had in the final. Uh yeah, my, my co-ed team. We we play on Monday nights. The team name is Divas FC, like like a diva. Um, we wear Celtic kits, and we we won the championship on Monday night. The, the highlight of the night, Ivis was I invited the local supporters group in Phoenix to come out. About like 10 of them showed up after drinking at the bar, and they chanted for 90 minutes, and they had smoke flares for when we scored, and they celebrated. It was, it, was, it was awesome. It was actually really cool. The real question is, how did you do? I want to see the player grades. I want to see the player grades for the match. When are those coming out? I didn't do that well, man. I, I play left back for the team, and I struggled to get involved in the game on the attacking end. Their team had two really good uh, players on the right side, so I had to defend them. And then my positioning on defense was was poor a couple times, so I did not have a good game. I would give myself like a four. <laughs> sounds like sounds like you're being generous, but uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on before we lose our any more listeners. I know we've had the most random openings for the last three shows. Um, we, yeah, you're right. I, as we said, tons to talk about. As always, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the college. Uh, College Cup. The results came. Uh, the 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 uh, the seedings. Excuse me. Came out the uh, the matches for the College Cup. We're going to talk about Orlando City, as you said, Ivis. But before we get into all of that, U.S. Men's National Team, they suffer a one zero one nil loss to Austria. Austria, you know, a little bit of a tougher challenge than Scotland was, but just another uh, disappointing showing from the U.S. Men's National Team in what was a banner year for for Jurgen Klinsmann. Right, it was definitely not a not a great way to end the year. But you know what? One thing I what I would say to anyone kind of tr- trying to make a little too much about the result itself. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not about the results in these last two games. It was more about testing people out, trying some uh, trying some people uh, who are on the fringes, uh, some people who are trying to vie for starting roles. You know, it, it, as much as this is the last couple of games with the full quote unquote full strength team until March, the reality is there just were a lot of people missing. Mm-hmm. You had Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan, Fabian Johnson, Matt Beesler, Graham Zussi. You know, you had quite a few guys that were missing. So it was never going to be a case of, oh, this is a dress rehearsal. This is going to be like the first team getting ready for Brazil. No, it wasn't it was never about that. It was a chance to see some of the other guys, some of the guys on the on the fringes, some of the guys competing for starting roles, see how seeing how they could do playing alongside some other starters and you know, after, obviously the Scotland game was was disappointing for a lot of people, and 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 mm-hmm. Austria, the Austria game was pretty similar in that you had a few guys really take advantage, and then you had a few guys who just did not get it done. And uh, you know that at the end of the day, that's what matters is Klinsman having something to go on, something to learn and gather uh, from these these matches to to use as he tries to uh, you know formulate his squad heading into Brazil. And you're exactly right, Ivis. It was a chance for Jurgen to see guys. When you look at the game against Austria on on Tuesday, 
I, I think it'd be very hard-pressed to find guys who had good performances. But I think when you look at the whole team, Jeff Cameron at right back impressed a lot. And I think he had, a, I think he had the best game out of any guy for the U.S. men's national team. Well, I think that's up for debate. I think there was a close uh, close call between him and Michael Bradley. Actually, Michael Bradley was our man of the match on SBI. But I think from a standpoint of someone who who impressed and surprised a bit, uh, Jeff Cameron, I think you can make the point that, you know, he hasn't played right back since March, right? For the U.S. team, anyway. And, and for whatever reason, Klinsman has just kind of refused to play him at right back, even though he starts there for Stoke City. Now he finally plays him at right back, and he looked really good there. Now, now one thing I would like to point out for the people who, who, who want to give Cameron a lot of praise, and he did do well, but at the same time, Austria definitely, you know, attacked down the middle. They really tried to they, – they didn't put a ton of pressure on Cameron's side of the field. Cameron did handle the things that he needed to handle, but, you know, I, I really think the midfield, the center of the field was a lot more of an issue for the U.S. dealing with Austria, getting the, going down the middle – uh, with David Alaba really trying to be the playmaker for them. But having said that, Cameron did his job, and he really, all of a sudden now, you look at him and you say, hey, this guy can really start at right back for the U.S. He, he got forward. He got involved in the attack. He was he was a threat on set pieces. He defended well. So I think that I agree with you. That's the biggest takeaway from this game is that, you know, you, you kind of really got a good sense of what he can give you. And when you think about center back, where Matt Beesler and Omar Gonzalez are really looking like the guys – Jeff Cameron now has a place where you can slot him in, get him on the field, and and he feels he looks comfortable there. You know, as much as you could argue that's probably his third best position of the positions that he he could play. The fact is that is where he does play, and he's and he's and he's gaining confidence playing that position at Stoke City. Well, you mentioned uh, center back Perry. I mean, John Brooks uh, was in the game today. I mean, you, I know you mentioned on Twitter, you know, he's a young guy, he's going to learn a lot. But I mean, what did you think out of his performance today? Well, I, I think he positionally le- left something to be desired, and I think that again that comes with reps, that comes with practice. I mean, people t- tend to forget he has exactly one year as a professional starter under his belt. He became a starter last year, first time he ever was a starter. He was a 19-year-old, you know, starting for Hertha Berlin. They had injuries. He stepped in. He be- he stayed the starter for the whole year, and he really blossomed. He really impressed. Now he's come back here, and now that Hertha's is in the in the Bundesliga, he was the starter, but then he gets hurt, and now he hasn't played for for a couple of months now. He still he still has a lot to learn, and as you know, when you see him thrown into the international game, and you understand, you see him, you can kind of watch him and see that he it's like he's trying to learn on the job because he's just he hasn't been in these situations enough to to be kind of that polished veteran. So there were quite a few times when he got caught. It looked like he got caught out position a bit. But the tools are there. He's going to be a player. He's going to be someone I could definitely see having a ton of national team caps down the road, being a starter in 2018 in Russia. But you know what? For now, is he ready? I don't think he's ready. I think Beasler and Cameron – I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Beasler and Gonzalez are still the guys. I think Cameron's probably your third best option. Uh, and, and Brooks is coming along. And, and is he going to be ready for Brazil to be a starter? I, I think that's a little – uh, premature, a little presumptuous, but the tools are there. I will give him that. The tools are there. The height, uh, the technical ability. He just needs the reps. He just needs the experience. People forget he's only 20. And, and you also have uh, Clarence Goodson back there, too, who's also looked great for the U.S. men's national team in his last uh, recent call-ups. Then you move up to the midfield in the game against Austria, Ivis. Other than Michael Bradley, largely ineffective. One guy in particular we talked about in the last show, Jermaine Jones. I, I think of the first half... I counted five or six turnovers after the 15th minute. I mean, this is one of, I think this is his worst showing he's ever had for the U.S. men's national team. 
Right. I mean, it, it, there's no question here. He played badly. And, and, and like I said, I found it interesting that, you know, last game, I thought he played badly. And it seemed like there was some some differing opinions on that. I think some people thought he actually did well. When I did, I just didn't see it. Now, this time around, I don't think anyone can argue it. He played badly. He turned the ball over a lot. He was a bit of a lie. He was a liability today. So my thing is this. How much of it is it in, is it is it form? How much of it is in injury related? Because again, remember he had this whole issue with Schalke, where you know they were going to suspend him. Then supposedly he was going to have a knee surgery that he was holding off on. Then the team didn't want him to have the knee surgery. So we don't know what the deal is now. Is he a hundred percent? Is he nurse? Is he is he playing with an injury? Uh, is it so? Is it about an injury, or is it about about a player who's thirty two years old and maybe he's starting to you know get diminishing returns on his ability? That's something Gary Klinsman has to figure out, and and I'm sure he's probably knows more than us because, you know, when you want to talk about injury and medical issues like that, we're probably going to be in the dark on what the true story is when it comes to Jones and his knees. But I can tell you what, he just does not look good, and it's been a while now. I mean, it, it's been. I think you got to go back to the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a game where he really stood out. I mean, I guess, look, you could say in the Mexico game in Columbus he did well. Uh, I seem to recall him doing well there, but he's just so so inconsistent. And for me, I want to see Disgrew Bradley together. And maybe maybe Klinsman doesn't see that working uh, because we just still haven't really seen it much. But I think it's time. I think you got to try to see that. So we'll see in March when the full team's back together where these guys are, how they're playing, and, and, and if Jones is still going to be the guy. And then two guys who get big opportunities, Breck Shea, Aaron Johansson. I thought Aaron Johansson looked a bit, little looked better than Breck Shea did, who was, most of the part was unaffected. But, I mean, Johansson was playing a little bit out of position for him. But what, I mean, what did you think of those two guys, especially Shea, who looked like a complete 180 from what we saw against Scotland? Well, see, it's, it's, it's a thing. It's a, di- there's a, different, it's a different animal. Coming in as a sub, <clears throat> you're, you're fresh legs, you're going up against tired defenders, and you just run at people. Um, and, and then that and being a starter, being a starter from minute one, having to you know be a two-way player, having to track back. And Brexhade struggled with that. And obviously, Austria, you know, I think they saw an opportunity to go after that side of the field, and they, and, and they, and they definitely took, took it to... Took it to the U.S. on that on that side of the field on the left side with Beasley and, and, and Breck Shea, and he struggled, no doubt about it. But I don't know anyone. I don't think anyone's surprised by that, or and no one should be surprised. The guy hasn't played uh, for, on the club level for how long? He doesn't get. He doesn't have the reps. He's not going to be sharp. I mean, it's one thing to come into a game late as a sub and just run at people and just try to make something happen. There's something. Between, there's a big difference between that and actually playing as a starter. In an established role where you have me, you have key, you know clear cut responsibilities. He's just not there, and and you know before anyone gets too crazy about the fact that he got the start. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a lot of guys missing. We just, we already rattled the names off: Donovan, Dempsey, Zusi, Brad, Brad Davis, Fabian Johnson. All those guys can play left wing, and none of them were available for this game. So it's you're pretty pretty low, you're pretty low on the depth chart right now to go get Shea. So I, I don't I don't think people should get too crazy about that. I thought Johansson looked good. I mean, I, I tell you what, he with each passing game, he impresses me more just because you know what? He's so confident on the ball. The technical ability is there. He's quick. He's decisive. And I tell you what, I thought he brought something. He he brought some good stuff out of Josie Altador. And I think the thing with Altador is Altador needs people moving around him. He needs he needs be people to combine with, people who read the game like he can read the game. And I know that yeah, you know, Altador has his critics. 
People who like to rag on him, you know, he's not scoring goals. He doesn't he doesn't make things happen on his own. He can't make things happen on his own, folks. He's not a guy who's going to take the ball, dribble through a defense, and just score on his own. No, he needs to combine. He needs to do the give and goes. He needs the service. And I think Johansson's mobility, movement, and, and creativity, although he's not a pure playmaker, I thought it helped Altidore. And I think that's pretty promising. You know, I think I think those two, I think you need to get those two on the field together one way or another, whether it's 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3, Jurgen Klinsmann has to figure it out because you need to. I think you need to have those two guys in the starting lineup. And then you mentioned Josie Altidore. I thought he looked a little bit better in this game than against Scotland, but he did have a few opportunities that he should have put away. I mean, very tough break for Josie in this game. Well, yeah, the one where he missed just wide. Um, uh, and, but then he also set up Michael Bradley on the doorstep uh, on, a sh- on a play where you know it, Bradley had his shot blocked. I thought I thought Altidore did did some good things, you know. It's a, obviously the goal didn't come, but you like you like. I, I mean, I I don't know how you you couldn't like what you saw from that. It was much better uh, than it, than the Scotland match, and, and the qualities are there. Look, I I know there's people who who will swear up and down that he's not he shouldn't be the starter, and it's always like the, let's go with the guy who's not playing because the guy who's not playing must be better than the guy who is playing and not scoring and struggling. It's just that's just not reality. The reality is Josie Altidore is your best option. You need him in the starting lineup, uh, and he's going to be the guy. He's going to be the guy come spring, summer, World Cup. He will be a starter. The question is, what do you put around him? Uh, I think people need to remember the summer and need to remember all the goals that he scored when he had people around him moving and passing, when he had Fabian Johnson uh, and Graham Zussi, you know, all working together and, and, and really setting him up well. And, and I think I think there, there is um, – there's that kind of quality in the pool. It just wasn't available for this particular set of games. Okay, when you look at that quality, Ivis, and you look at the formation used in, in both games, four-two-three-one with Josie as the lone striker up top. I mean, you're right. We have seen Josie do better in that four-four-two when he's when someone else is up there helping him out, helping the attack, helping him distribute, helping to pass. But as far as the team going forward, though, I mean, we saw Eddie Johnson go in the game a couple times playing at left wing. I mean, when would you, when will Jurgen, if if ever, go back to a formation that has Josie with someone else up top, or was it just he didn't have the players here? But then again, he had Eddie Johnson in camp. So, I mean, what is Jurgen's thinking right there? Well, I think it goes back to the, you know we, we rattled off the, I rattled off the list of names for you, and and it was pretty much every quality winger that you can name was was injured or or tied up with the MLS playoffs. So from that standpoint, if you don't, if you're missing a big chunk of your wing depth, then you kind of have to adjust things. And and what they do, what you know, what he did, he did. He played Eddie Johnson a lot. He played Alejandro Bedoya a lot. Um, so it wasn't an ideal situation, right? It, it wasn't ideal from a uh, from the sense of what we can expect from the best U.S. team. This wasn't it. This wasn't. This was team was. This was a U.S. team missing quite a bit on the wings. And you saw it. You saw it with the lack of quality. You saw it by having to start a Breck Shea in a game like this. I don't think I don't think anyone should get too freaked out by it. I think come March, knock on wood, if everyone's healthy and and you'll get a much better sense in March when the when that next international window comes around, what this team can look like. And and you know, I think then you'll see Donovan and Dempsey, you see how they incorporate into the lineup. And then, you know, I mean for me, if you think about a potential attacking quartet of Altidore, Johansson, Donovan, Dempsey. I mean, come on, that's looking pretty good. Throw and you know, hey, Fabian Johnson, you can include him mm-hmm. in there as well. Uh, it, it, it's a, I think people forget the players that are missing and, and the quality that they can bring to the table. So, I, I don't know if anyone should hit the panic button over these two games. They were definitely <laughs> not pretty games. They were ugly games, 
the you know the the Scott, the first half of the Scotland game was was definitely a recipe for a good nap, midday nap because it was just no, nothing to watch. But there there were good things to come out of these games. Like Jeff Cameron uh, in the, in this Austria game, like Aaron Johansson in the two games and Mix Discrude. How about Mix Discrude coming in second half? <clears throat> he's pulling off all sorts of spin dribbles, playing with confidence. He's got a swagger to him now. I I, I for me I've said it both games. I said it for both games. I, w- I want to see Mixed Scrooge start. I think he's shown some qualities. He should get a chance to start. He didn't get that chance. We're, we're still on the whole Jermaine Jones front, you know, with him turning in a couple of stinkers. Let's see how Discrude handles these next few months, if he can keep playing well, be ready to go. Because in March, I'll tell you what, he could he could be the guy. Mixed Discrude could absolutely be starting come March. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think Mixed Discrude offers something else. I mean, when you look at Jermaine Jones and how he's looked in these two games, I think someone like Mix can, can free up Michael Bradley a little more. Mix can get up the field. I, I mean, look, Jermaine Jones, the only time what he gets up the field, Ivis, is when he goes those ridiculous runs down the wing where he really doesn't combine with anyone. But Mix, I mean, he has a little more technical skill. He can move up the field where Bradley's not going to have to kind of support Jermaine Jones and whatever he's doing out there. I, look, I really hope that Mix gets in there. But as far as these two games, though. I mean, when you look at kind of everyone, you mentioned the guys, Johansson, Mix, Jeff Cameron. I mean, is there anyone else that improved their stock in these two games? Because like you said, it's not about the results. It's about the performances. Uh, I'd say Omar Gonzalez. I thought he was pretty steady in both games. I know there were some, you know, a couple of clearances in the first game, in the Scotland game with that, you know, maybe he could have done better on. But I feel like he was everywhere he needed to be. And uh, he was really steady. He he came in with confidence. You know, he, he's obviously... Uh, someone who has kind of moved into that starting spot, and and he didn't do a single thing to to make anyone say, oh, he shouldn't be the guy. I think he's the guy. I think him and Beesler, they they're a good tandem. They they work well off each other. You have uh, you know Omar Gonzalez with the size, and you have Beesler with the kind of the, with the intelligence and the speed, combining those two things. I mean, and that's the funny thing. People don't really equate Beesler with being fast, but Beesler is pretty fast. You know what I mean? He's he's one of the faster guys on the team. Uh, surprisingly enough, I still remember last spring, no, last summer, around the time of the uh, the Germany uh, friendly when they were getting into the into that stretch of games in June, and they had <clears throat> they had fitness testing, and apparently Matt Beisler won the speed drill, the speed trial, like the, you know the sprinting. He had like the fastest sprinting, and I remember thinking, okay, were there people who slept in who didn't take the test? Like you know, you, you just wouldn't have factored, you just wouldn't have thought. Matt Beasler w- w- would be the guy. And actually, I remember asking him about it after the Germany game. I'm like, is this true? Is this really true? Did everyone, and I, you know, just, you know, bust his chops a bit. And uh, and he was pretty funny about it. He was like, hey, man, that's don't lie. So he, he's faster than you realize. So I think from that standpoint, Gonzalez looking steady, that's a big positive. And, and, and you know what? John Brooks is going to come along. Uh, he's going to you know, keep growing as a player. And Jeff Cameron, again, he's still an option for you. So you have some pretty good depth there. Wait, Jeff Cameron gives you that versatility. I, the other thing is, and I mentioned mix, I like to see him with Bradley. I mean, you also wonder what someone like Jeff Cameron can do with with uh, being paired with Michael Bradley. I mean, we've seen it a couple of times, but I don't you, know, man. I, I, I think Cameron's better than Jermaine spots, Jones. Though. You can't have I know, him I know. That's what it comes That's, down to. Can we just clone decide. him? we we got to right, figure exactly. out how to clone if him, three, man. If you had three Jeff Camerons, they'd all, they'd all start. You could you could argue that yeah. all three would start. Jeff Cameron could start at three different positions. If you could clone him and have three Jeff Camerons, and you could give one of the Jeff Camerons uh, a run at center back and get him some games at center back, mm-hmm. he'd be the for me. He he'd really push in Omar Gonzalez for a starting job. But you know, hey, there's only one of them, and right back might be the position for him. One thing I do want to say about Mix is 
you know, when he first came on the scene, right, when he was on the U- in the U23s, uh, in the camp with the U23s and really kind of first getting acclimated with, with the whole U.S. setup, one of the big, uh, I guess, negatives against him or knocks against him was that he is a little soft and he's a little uh, he's not really defensive minded, defensive oriented. He's a bit of a one way player, very kind of, you know, technical, creative guy, doesn't like to do the dirty work. And and I really think his time with the 23s, working with Caleb Porter, really helped that, really helped him develop that. I, you know, he, he definitely pointed to that as, as helping him see that other side of the game. And now this summer at the Gold Cup, you know, he did it again. He also he had to play in those kind of mm-hmm. roles where he had to be a two-way player. He couldn't just, you know, in this day and age in the modern game, you better be a damn amazing playmaker if you're if you're gonna not be a two-way player, right? You gotta you gotta be uh, an all-star for for a team to be able to 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 it be worth it for a team to carry you if you're not a two-way player. Mixed Discrude has developed that in his game. I think he's shown he can ha- handle the dirty work. He can go both ways. And for that reason, I think the I think Bradley Disgrude as a midfield tandem could absolutely be an effective one. And I think you know what? Hey, come Brazil, you want to talk about projecting a a, a center a central midfield tandem? That could absolutely be it. I think you're exactly right. I, you know, I think we saw that this summer. I think when Mix came on, if I remember, maybe first two games, maybe just one game wasn't that good. But I noticed throughout his string of games, I mean, it's just his toughness in the attack, pushing defenders off the ball, holding the ball, trapping. Yeah, I, I like Mix, man. What he's been able to do for the U.S. men's national team. And, and look, he, he's had some goals and some big games. Ivis, I mean, the one against Russia when he came off the bench and stoppage time. So, I mean, Mix is, uh, I mean, I like to see him get out of Norway and maybe get into a higher league. But, I mean, you're right, man. All the quality and talent's there. Without a doubt. And, and, I, and I, for me, <clears throat> and I don't know if it's it's by design, but, you know, I, I want to see Johansson and Discrude together. I want to see that trio, Discrude, Johansson, and uh, and Altidore working together because I think Discrude and Johansson, with the qualities they have, are exactly the kind of players that an Altidore loves to play with. And and I you know I don't know when we're going to see that grouping, but you know you'd like to hope that we could see that come March. Well, Ivis, the same time the U.S. men's national team game was being played, all the games in Europe, the second legs of the games were being played. Uh, I was also watching the. Portugal Sweden game it was you know it's unfortunate that Ibra Ronaldo one of them was not going to be able to make it for Brazil but the final game was insane I mean Ronaldo went off at the end of the game and I mean it was it was awesome Ivis yeah it was pretty much it was a, it was a, a ridiculous back and forth uh, when you think about it first Ronaldo scores which basically puts uh, Sweden in a, in a three goal hole and then Zlatan Ibrahimovic scores twice to pull Sweden and back into it, bring them back to life. Then Cristiano Ronaldo comes back and scores two goals and says, no, 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 this is my house. We're going to the World Cup. It was just, it was just amazing. Uh, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's not really fair to compare head-to-head, guy, uh, you know, star players head-to-head. Ronaldo was amazing, right? He, you can, I mean, it's tough to argue. You know, even for people who love Lionel Messi, he's hurt now. He, he, he hasn't been off to, you know, his, his usual start uh i mean you can really argue right now that ronaldo is the best player in the world right now and uh it's funny now that they they've reopened the voting for the ballon d'or and uh you know it's a good bet there's gonna be a lot of people changing their votes to cristiano ronaldo and who knows maybe now he'll actually go to the ceremony since we know he loves to skip ceremonies after uh getting ridiculed in the past for his reactions to losing i know i was gonna say that's that's no i don't want him to win because his reaction face when he doesn't get awarded is the funniest thing in the world 
No, but he doesn't come anymore. He, he's he's uh, last year he blew he he, did, he blew off the the ceremony. This year he was already announcing that he had already announced he wasn't going to go. So you know uh, uh, the guy's playing outstanding. I mean he really carried. He put Portugal on his back and, and scores four goals in two in two World Cup qualifiers. Four goals. That's amazing. I mean Sweden's not exactly a pushover, and to get four goals against them is amazing. But I tell you what, the bigger comeback or the bigger for me like France was on the verge of not making the World Cup. They come out 3-0 yeah. spank, spanking of Ukraine, and, and the French are in the World Cup. Yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, I have a French friend who's in Arizona right now, and he kept telling me how he's like, oh, I want these guys to lose so bad. They have no respect for the game. And today, of course, he was like, oh, yes, I'm so happy. But, yeah, I mean, unbelievable. France, I mean, you know, shifted formation, went to 4-3-3, and I was, they just flung players forward the whole entire game. And then when Ukraine went down a player, it was... France just like it was. It was kind of cool to watch France just pound the net for like ninety minutes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure some people will, will, will point out that there were some questionable calls that definitely went their way. And yes, you could say that, uh, but I, I don't know if I'm ready to ride on the conspiracy theory train just yet. Uh, the the yeah. ultimately it comes down to it: the French team is a talented team. They're a fun team to watch, and they're going to make the World Cup that much more difficult because they're in it. Yes, uh, Greece also advanced. They beat Romania in the second leg, and then Croatia defeated Iceland, so uh, we don't have to worry about a possible U.S. men's national team Iceland pairing. No revenge. No revenge for Iceland against Aaron Johansson, although now I'm sure all the folks in Iceland will be able to blame Aaron Johansson for them not winning that that playoff. Uh, and over in Africa, Algeria is in, and Egypt, I was, it was uh, near impossible for them to come back, I think, and score six goals against Ghana, but they did win at home 2-1, uh, to one. so good showing for Egypt. Uh, you know, a little... Uh, you know, to gain some respect in the second league. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we I think it was re- everyone realistically knew that Egypt was done in this playoff, but you wanted to see them come home, put in a respectable effort, and I think they did that. You know, they get their victory at home, and you know, it's just you can you can say, hey, it's just some more victory, but it still does mean something for a country that's been through so much and has really backed the team. And and obviously, it's disappointing for Egypt to not make the World Cup, but. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, they should be proud of the run that they went on, considering everything that that team has had to go through from the domestic league getting shut down and all the turmoil and strife uh, in fighting in, in the country itself. And, and obviously people dying and at soccer matches and, and the massacre at Port Said. So everything that's gone on there, uh, it, it's tough. It's tough to, to see it end the way it, it did. And you know what? Bob Bradley still deserves a lot of credit for going there and sticking through with the team through all of the, all the adversity that, that they faced, because I'll tell you what, I think most coaches in the world would have said, you know what, I think I need to go somewhere else because this is just not a safe situation. It's not a healthy situation, but you know what, Bob Bradley being the way he is, mm-hmm. he was never going to do that. He stuck it through. And I think he earned a lot of respect. And I think now we'll, it'll be interesting to see what's the next step for him and what kind of opportunities open and open up for him. Because I think he's earned that, that right, that opportunity. He's earned that opportunity to, to, to maybe move on to a better job, whether it's another national team or maybe an opportunity in Europe, I really think those are the next steps for him. I know a lot of people talk about MLS opportunities and different teams that maybe he could end up uh, coaching. I, I'm still not sold on MLS being where he ends up next because I think you know he's been there, he's done that, he's won his MLS Cup, he's he, he's won with Chivas, which you know only only his assistant Preki was able to do that, and, and he did that in part with the team that Bob Bradley built there. So. There's really no need for him to come back to MLS. You know, I think you'd like to think that the things that he has done 
with Egypt will help him get an opportunity in, uh, in oh, Europe or with a national team. For sure, especially with, with even with the U.S. men's national team as well, what he did with them. I, I think the next step for him has to be Europe, I guess. I mean, when you look at American managers, he, he would be the first to be in Europe. I mean, we could look back 20, 30 years from now and say, you know, Bob Bradley is the guy that really drove the engine for, for the, you know, the American manager to get maybe more international jobs. And I think for Bob Bradley, I mean, Europe has to be the next logical choice if he, um, if he doesn't do a national team. Well, it's, you know, it's, that's, it's easier said than done, man. I'll tell you what, we can't, it, it cannot be assumed that Europe, is finally ready for a coach, an American coach, and it, it just hasn't happened. I know, I know. When Greg Berhalter was hired in Columbus, there was all this talk about all oh, first American coaching in Europe. But hey, Swedish second division is not what we're talking about when we're talking about Bob Bradley. When we're talking about Bob Bradley, we want to talk about whether it's the Premier League or maybe the League Championship, or or you know a league on that kind of level. I think that's where you'd like to see him end up. Um, but that said, it's nothing's guaranteed, nothing's assured. There is no track record for American coaches in Europe, so. That is what he's working against, right? That's what he's dealing with. Uh, so I think national team opportunities might be the next way to go for him uh, unless some U- European team looks at his body of work and says, you know what, we should give this guy a chance. In uh, the other teams that have yet to qualify or play their second games, I think Uruguay will take care of business against Jordan. And uh, for me, Ivis, Mexico is about to start in 30 minutes, so I might watch them uh, hopefully thrash New Zealand again. Why, why does it matter, right? I mean, they're going to win. They're going to win. Like, whether they win 5-0 or – I mean, I don't th- honestly, I don't think any American wants to see Mexico blow Me- New Zealand out in another game because then, you know, let's face it, Mexican fans are going to get a little full of themselves. They're going to all of a sudden forget about the disastrous hex and how horrible that was. Uh, you want to keep them humble. Let it be a struggle. Let it be 1-0-1-1 in New Zealand. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I think the Kiwis are going to – they're going to be playing for some pride. I don't, know, I don't think they're going to necessarily lay down. Uh, I think it'll be a close game, actually. Well, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, one of the highs, a major high in American soccer is that Florida, excuse me, is that soccer is returning to Florida after 12 years. Orlando City announced as a 21st franchise and will begin play in 2015. Ivis, this is a, uh, we've seen it happening for last year. It's great that it's finally official. Yep, it's the, it was the the worst kept secret in American soccer, but they they formally formally officially announced it on Tuesday. They had the big party, the big announcement, big celebration. It felt like a like it was like a project, quasi Project X party. It seemed like almost in Orlando. Don Garber was in the house. Orlando City ownership there. They, they you know they deserve they deserve to have a party because I tell you what, what they've been able to pull off there, uh, building you know they brought. A team they brought a USL Pro team to uh, Orlando, I believe it was 2010, and now five years after that they're going to have an MLS team. I mean that's amazing. I mean you know what it's unprecedented. There is no other example of that kind of turnaround. I mean when you look at a lot of the new the, the recent expansion teams, I mean they've all been built on the previously established foundations of of, of, mm-hmm. of older teams and older clubs, Portland Timbers, Seattle Sounders. Uh, Montreal, Vancouver, uh, t- you know, Toronto had soccer previously, but, you know, so, I mean, you, I'm trying to think of a team that really from scratch, I guess you could argue Philadelphia, Philadelphia, as much as they have amazing history in the game, when you want to go back like a hundred years or, or, or back to Bethlehem steel and, and the like, but even in the more recent times, obviously they did, you know, they were also involved in an ASL, but you could um, say Real Salt Lake. Real Salt Lake's a good one. I mean, that's an example, but you know, to to 
go from having zero zero presence there to mm-hmm. putting a USL team there and now an MLS team, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. Great, great work by them. And that that it's half the battle. Now they actually actually have to build a team. They have to hire the right people in the front office and, and get the business. And it's crazy, man. They're only it's only sixteen months from now. It's only sixteen yeah, about sixteen months. From now, you know, we'll be. I'll be in. I'll probably be in Orlando or wherever they're going to play their game, and we will have MLS back in Florida, and, and I, it's going to be. It's it's going to be an emotional time. Not, I don't say emotional, but it's going to be significant because I tell you what. I I remember. I remember how it was covering the league and being around the league when they had contraction when they when they dropped the Miami Fusion in the Tampa Bay Mutiny. It was a time. It was a scary time to be tied to MLS and and, and be, you know, involved. Uh, you know, covering the league or working in the league, and because you didn't know, you know, you didn't know if the league was going to make it. <clears throat> so it, it's a significant kind of point in the history of the league now to have overcome that the way they have, and to just expand and grow so much, and now go back to that state. And it's it, it's it's a significant moment in the league's history. Yeah, it's uh, pretty awesome. Also, 2015 is going to be even more exciting. You have New York, the second team in New York, starting up, which begs the question, Ivis. If they're both playing home the first weekend, who do you choose? Uh, I tell you what, I'm pretty sure the schedule makers will uh, will sort that out. I, I think MLS, I think they're smart enough to know that you know if you can avoid it, you're not going to play. You're not going to have both New York teams play the opening day the same day. That's not going to happen. I mean, that, let's just be realistic there. Uh, unless they play each other, which I, I, I don't. I no, don't no, 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 no. I mean, why would if New York and Orlando both have home days in 2015? I, I, that's gonna as be I said, I th- no, nah, but you know what? As I said, MLS is smart about these things because they want to be at all. They want to be. At, you don't think Don Garber wants to be at both open, openings, right? So I, I, I'm pretty sure when the schedule comes out for 2015, you will not see the New York City FC and Orlando openings at the same time. You, you're not going to see it. I tell you what, if anything, maybe you'll see Orlando City at New York City FC at Yankee Stadium opening day 2015. I think you could see that for sure. That I mean, that that only makes sense. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. 16 months away. Uh, things no one's ever said before. MLS is good at schedule making. On Monday, the field of 48 was announced for the College Cup. Ivis, when you look at all the teams that were uh, named in the field of 48 and the teams that were not named in the field of 48, what surprised you? I, I would say this. I had 44 of the 48, and of the four teams that I, that oh. I didn't have in the in the in the field. Four of those teams were in my five bubble teams list. So, I mean, I, so there were no real surprises, uh, you know, because it's pretty predictable what, what the NCAAs do because they, they, they rely really heavily on their RPI rankings. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, certain teams just really didn't get the job done late in the year. Uh, you know, when I rattled off the list of teams that I thought were, were going to make it, mm-hmm. the four teams that didn't end up making it were Gonzaga. Illinois, Chicago, St. Louis, and UAB, and and you know at, at the end of the day, it came down to UAB and Gonzaga. You know, having some tough results at, at late in the year that ended up costing them, and, and then St. Louis just had a low RPI, even though they had a really impressive record. Uh, so it was a little tough, I think, for me of those teams. I think Illinois, Chicago was probably the best of the teams that didn't make it out of that group. Uh, but again, this is what happens when you have when you have bubble busting situations where in Indiana gets into the tournament with a losing record or South Florida knocks off Yukon in penalty kicks, South Florida wouldn't have made it uh, without that. So, you know, when you have those kind of situations, it, it, it costs uh, slots. It it reduces the number of outlarge slots 
Uh, and so those teams that I mentioned are the ones who ended up paying the price. But uh, props to teams like Stanford, St. John's, Northwestern, and VCU. They were actually the four teams I had directly on the bubble, and all four got in. And they all and they're all pretty deserving. You know, Stanford uh, has won. You know, they beat Cal in the last weekend, last week of the season, regular season. I mean, that's a big win for them. That win alone really pushed them over the top. Uh, St. John's has played an incredible schedule. Northwestern has done, you know, held, they've held their own in the Big Ten, which is, you know, arguably the toughest conference or the second toughest conference in the country. And then you have VCU, who started the year in a rough fashion. They, they got blown out by UAB first game of the season, but then they rebounded and they, and they posted a, a lot of quality victories uh, to, get, to, you know, work their way into the tournament. So I don't think any I don't think anyone can have too much of a gripe about who got in and who got out. I think the big gripes that you can make are for some of the matchups, which uh, for me, Akron not getting seated. And this is not the first time it's happened now. Um, Akron, you know, they just don't they, they just don't get respect. And, and, and it's because of the RPI system where despite the fact that Akron plays one of the toughest non-conference schedules in the country, it, they, they get penalized tremendously because of the, the weakness of the, the, the MAC conference, uh, which just doesn't register on, on these RPI ratings. So. Now you have Akron playing Indiana in a first-round game. I mean, that's crazy, man. I mean, I got to tell you, I got, I'm trying to think of, like, something comparable. I mean, that could be, I mean, quality-wise, that's like an Elite Eight game. And I know people might think that's crazy because Indiana had a losing record. But part of the reasons Indiana had a losing record is because they had a really young team. They, they, they you know, they graduated some key players from that NCAA title team. Eric Zavaleta signed a GA deal. He left school early. So they had a young team that took a while to grow up, and they played a brutal schedule. I don't know anyone that had a tougher schedule. I think Todd Yagley, in retrospect, when he looks at that schedule, he'll probably say, yeah, maybe I stacked it up a little too much. Now this, this, this Indiana team that just won the Big Ten tournament plays Akron in the first round, and that's, I mean, that's going to be a fun one, man. I, I tell you what, I wish I could be there because I think that's going to be a really good game to watch. Well, yeah, and some other teams got ranked that – you know, look, I, I don't follow college soccer as much as you do, Ivis, but, you know, I was so surprised. I mean, I thought New Mexico was at times inconsistent throughout the year, but they have a high ranking. I don't know. It's going to be interesting because you have some good teams that weren't ranked that played really well all year that look like they can make some good runs. As far as favorites are, I mean, UCLA is the number one seed overall. When you go to the teams like Notre Dame, Maryland, Washington, I mean, who is, you know, kind of right now your, your favorite or maybe you have a group of favorites that can really compete for the national title? Well, way to rattle off the names of the teams that I mentioned last show as the favorites. I know, right? You like that? <clears throat> for me, the, for me, there's a Fab Four, and it's the top four seats. You know, I think the, I think the uh, committee got that part right. I think UCLA, Washington, Maryland, and Notre Dame are probably the four best teams in the country. California, for a big part of the year, was right in that mix, but they, you know, they, I think they lost three or four to end the year, so they've struggled a bit. So that you know, they're a little tougher to read, but I think there's a big drop off. Uh, from that top four, I think you could argue Georgetown is in that mix too. I think Georgetown's pretty close to that group. Uh, you, uh, as an example, uh, you have UCSB could be a dark horse. Uh, you know, they're a team that's on a really long unbeaten streak, so they're going to be a team to watch. I think Michigan State, even though they lost Indiana in the Big East in the Big Ten final, they're a team that's going to be a threat, uh, pretty dangerous. Wisconsin? No, I mean, I don't know. They're they're pretty far down on the list of teams that I would worry about as far as uh, – tell you what. A they team have some like nice you... wins, though. I don't know. I'm just looking at their wins. They have some nice wins. <clears throat> right. Uh, I'd say UC Irvine's a team that has really done well. I mean, they blew away UC... <clears throat> UCLA earlier in the year. 
So they're a team that, you know, has earned their respect. And even though they're not a seeded team, they're a team that could definitely make some noise. So I, I would say this. There's no clear-cut, unbeatable top team. But I think you can honestly argue that it, like 15 teams in this field that could win the tournament. And UCI did beat Cal State Northwich twice within the last month and a half of the season. As far as guys who are going to become household names in this, going the first games are on Thursday for everyone who wants to watch. Ivis, can you give us some names that we should become familiar with that will become household names by Friday? <laughs> I don't know about household names. Oh, in the so- okay, I'm sorry. Household names in the soccer community. It's a small community. Everyone talks. You know what I mean. Well, you know, we, we, this week we're, uh, the plan is to put out the first uh, SBI MLS draft big board. So I think that's when, when, when people will really uh, have a good sense of, of the players to watch in the tournament. And quite a few of the players that are going to be on that list are in the tournament, as you might expect. <clears throat> that Indiana game, the Indiana-Akron game, there are quite a few prospects involved in that game. Indiana uh, freshman Tommy Thompson's really turned heads this year, stepping in f- and filling that goal-scoring void left by Eric Zavaleta. I think he's he's turned some heads. There's you know, possible talk about him in the Generation Adidas deal. Dylan Mayers, the midfielder who transferred from Louisville, he's had his ups and downs, but you know, he he's still a, a talented player. He's only he's a redshirt junior, I believe. So he's also someone who could who could could potentially uh, get some GA interest. Nikita Kotloff is another solid player for Indiana. <clears throat> and then you have Akron. You know, Akron's got a, quite a few guys as well. R- Ronaldo Brennis, uh, Robbie Dershang, and, and obviously Brian Gallego, who's who's a homegrown player for Portland. Uh, thanks to a, the, a trade, uh, he was originally a New York Red Bulls homegrown player, but now Portland has his rights. So there's quite a bit of talent there on both sides. Um, and the first round, there's several first round games where you can find, uh, I'd say, some MLS draft talent. Uh, you know, UConn's, uh, UConn and Andre Blake, who is probably going to come into the draft as the top-rated goalkeeper. He's going to be someone to watch. Uh, they they play Quinnett Piak in, in a game that you'd like to think UConn get, you know, they handle their business there. Um, as far as other quality matchups in the first round, I'd probably, I'd probably have to go with, uh, let's see here, North Carolina, South Florida. That's one with with some with some prospects there. Uh, I think you could look at Ben Sweat, the the left back for for South Florida, is definitely someone who's probably going to be a first round pick, uh, and is going to be a target for MLS teams that need help at fullback. Uh, and as you know, North Carolina is always stacked with talent. So I think those are some games that come to mind. George Mason, William and Mary, maybe not from a uh, a, dra- a draft prospect standpoint, but just from two good teams basing off in the first round. I think that's a good one. Uh, to watch, so I think there's going to be some good matchups. It's not all about the draft prospects, at least not in the first round. But I think once you get into the second round, and some of the the powerhouse teams start getting into the mix, into the tournament, once the top 16 seeds get involved, I think that's when you're really going to see a lot of the top prospects in action. Well, Ivis, this is the midweek show, so that means it's the SBI Q and A. If anyone is on Twitter, you're more than welcome to send in a question. Hashtag Ask the SBI Show at any time. Ivis and I always check uh, all, all the results for for till, till we catch up to the previous one's week. So remember, hashtag Ask the SBI Show. Ivis, first question comes from Roger Clevis. Sacramento Republic getting an 8,000 seat grass field for next season. Next USO Pro team turned MLS darling. Well, I think you got to let them play first, right? I mean, I, I think it's a little premature to, to you know, say it's going to be a hit and they're going to, you know, pack that place and it's going to uh, resonate in the area and the community. I mean, that's not to say it can't. I mean, I've heard good things about Sacramento. 
I know Amobia Kugo uh, loves to talk about Sacramento being uh, being from there. So who knows? Maybe he could be a DP for them. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, you know what? If you build if you build one of these facilities, you fill it, and you do a really good job of marketing. Uh, I don't see why not. I mean, you, that's what Orlando City did, and and that kind of seems like the blueprint. I don't know if MLS is looking for another uh, another team in California right now. You know, I think there's there's a lot of talk about the South. Sorry, about the Southeast. And even talk about Texas now. San Antonio's kind of gaining a little momentum as a potential MLS team. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. Sacramento is going to have to really impress in its first couple of years to to get on that radar. Uh, next question comes from Raul. Uh, he says, you guys – well, I mean, I'm, I'm not as old as you, Ivy. So this is more of a you question. But you guys have covered U.S. men's national team for a long time. What's the biggest difference between this team and the past ones? <laughs> Well, I wasn't around in like 1950, so you know, I, I, I go back. I go back to 2000. 2000 is probably right, right around where I first started covering the national team. I think my first quote-unquote cap was in 1999, if I, if I, if I am correct. Um, I actually have 96 caps. I think Tim Howard and I have the same number of caps now. Um, I'd say the biggest difference. I think tech, overall technical quality. I think is is the big difference. I think, you know, when you go back to you know about you know the ninety late nineties to early two thousand. I mean, I think you had you had a couple of guys who were pretty high level technical guys. Obviously, Claudio Arena, Ernie Stewart, John O'Brien, uh, Clint uh, Clint Mathis before the injuries was was pretty pretty uh, quality uh, from a technical standpoint. Uh, but I feel like overall now, I think the depth and the the the, the amount of, of Technically, solid players, uh, I think, is better now. Uh, and I think the overall depth is different now. It's a, it's a, it's a deeper team. I mean, just think about the, the clubs where players are playing now that are in the pool as compared to, say, 2000, uh, 2001, when, like, you know, Claudio Arena and Ernie Stewart might be the guys who are playing uh, in, your, in Europe, uh, at a, you know, other than the goalkeepers, obviously. So uh, I think, I think that's, uh, overall technical quality is better. The depth is obviously better. And... Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, I don't know. I think that maybe from a defensive standpoint, it's still not quite better. Because, I mean, I you know, remembering some of the defenses and defenders of of those, of you know, when you talk about an Eddie Pope, like, I, you know, I don't see anyone right now who I'd say you could compare to Eddie Pope. Um, so, you know, there, there's still some areas where the current team hasn't overtaken uh, overtaken the old the, the old guard, but you know I think overall I think it's better it's better now the team is better now than it was. Yeah, I'm looking at that roster right now. You see like Miami Fusion got, got, some, got some names on here, Ivis. It's uh it's, it's interesting. Um, hey, hey, I co- hey, I covered Miami Fusion games before, so don't make it seem like it's you know <laughs> like 1940s or something. What do you what do you think what do you think I'm implying? I know you're trying to say I'm really old. No, that's, okay. that's not true. Yeah. Not at all. Uh, next question, Ivis, comes from Ryan King. Do you think Jeff Cameron gets a shot? Gets another shot at defensive mid? I agree with that. I like him instead of Jones because it lets Bradley roam. You can't play him everywhere, right? You can't do it. So where do you want? Where do you put him? You put him where you need him the most. And I think right back is obviously a position where that really hasn't. It really hasn't settled in. I mean, Brad Evans. You you know. Credit to him; he's done decently there. He, 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 considering it's not really his position, he's done pretty admirably there. Is he a difference maker? Is he an international caliber right back that's going to handle things in a World Cup in a group of death? I don't know if you can say that. Jeff Cameron, week in and week out, is playing against the best players in the world 
at right back. I mean, he's facing guys like Aiden Hazard and or, or you know Liverpool, Man United, you know the, all the different players he can face. He is dealing with that on a weekly basis, so there's nobody better equipped than Jeff Cameron to play that position. So uh, I think right back's the position for him to play on this particular team. You know, you D, could, D, you, can he can he play D mid? Sure. But if you want to talk about what's best for the team, I think right back's probably the best. Next question comes from Josh Brewer. Can you see Jurgen going away from the four two three one come World Cup time? Well, I don't know about going away from it completely, but I think he's going to have to. He will have to open his eye, not open his eyes, but he'll have to open. He'll have to open things up to incorporate the four four two. I think. I think the four four two has a place. Uh, whether you want to say four one three two more so than a four four two. I think we're going to see it because I think Josie Altidore, Aaron Johansson, you got to get them on the field together. And, and that's the thing. We have to get the whole you – Klinsman has to get everyone together, everyone that he could possibly get, and then have a real sense of what kind of lineup he can put out there. Because you know what? If the team is fully fit, 100% healthy, I mean, there's going to be some good players that aren't on the field. You know, I mean, if you want to talk about best from a talent standpoint, pure talent, getting 11 talented guys on the field together. Let's think about a best 11, right, just just for now. Tim Howard in goal. Left back, Fabian Johnson. Center backs, Matt Beesler and Omar Gonzalez. Right back, Jeff Cameron. Uh, and on the left, then you, once you get to the midfield, it gets really tricky because now you're talking uh, Landon Donovan, uh, Clint Dempsey, Fabian Johnson, and even Alejandro Bedoya, although he struggled a bit in these, few, in these couple of games. But even those three guys, right? Uh, three guys for two spots. So who do you go with? Do you go with Dempsey uh, on the wing? Uh, or, or do you go with Donovan and Fabian Johnson on the opposite sides? Let's just say hypothetically, Fabian Johnson, Landon Donovan on the wings. Now you have three players, Clint Dempsey, Aaron Johansson, Josie Atsador, for two spots. What do you do? Who do you sit? <clears throat> it's tricky. It's not easy. Johansson. So, you sit Johansson. <clears throat> you would think, right? But, hey, Johansson, the trajectory he's on, the quality he's showing, uh, he's only going to get better, and he's already doing. He's already scoring goals. He's one of the top leading scorers in the Dutch league at a very young age, and he's gaining confidence by the game, by the week, by the month. So when you project that out to five months from now, six months from now, it's fair to think how good he could be then. So, uh, well, okay, but this is why well, I still think that the four-two-three-one works, though. Because if you do the four-two-three-one, you can get Fabian Johnson at left back. You can get Mixon Bradley together, Donovan at the left side, Johansson at the right. Dempsey as the attacking mid and Josie Atador up top. You can get them all on the field at the same time. Except for your hands. You just sit your hands. Wait, wait. No, no, no. You have... No, no, no. You know, you where, have, where's, Clint, where's Clint Dempsey? I see. Dempsey's the attacking mid. Johansson's on the right. Donovan's on the left. Atador's up top. Fabian Johnson's left back. Discarude, uh and Bradley in the middle. Uh, Omar Gonzalez and well, Matt Beasley. That, that, and then Jeff Cameron as the right. There, there's a couple of questions there. Number one, we haven't seen... Klinsman uh, be willing to play Discrude and, and Bradley together. So, you know, you don't know if he sees him as being able to handle that role. I'd like to see him play there. I think that lineup would be the ideal lineup. I think you get everyone, you get all the top guys. I mean, I know that leaves out of Graham Zussi and this, Alejandro Bedoya and Jermaine Jones. But I think for me, that that is the – if you're asking me to bet on a lineup that could be the starting lineup come uh, June in Brazil, I, I, I would think that lineup could absolutely be the lineup. Th- this is this is SBI show history. Ivis Skolarsev has agreed with me for the first time ever. This is this is pretty I don't big. think it's the first time I reviewed with you. Uh, it's the first time you've said anything sensible. So oh, Well, maybe on this whole show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, next question comes from Jonathan Del Cid. What's up with the lack of width in the USA versus Austria match? Well, uh, in case you missed the earlier part of the show, which obviously you did because we're recording it right now, uh, there, every, the, the list, basically the entire depth chart of wingers, most of it is, is injured or uh, tied up in MLS playoffs. I mean, we, named, we just rattled off the names before. Fabian Johnson, Graham Zussi, uh, Brad, uh, Brad Davis, Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey, all different players who could play on the wing. And they, none of them were available. So you're pretty low on the totem pole for wing for winger help. Uh, Alejandro Bedoya, he gives you hustle, but he's not necessarily a service guy. Uh, Joe Corona's out of form. Uh, he's someone who's played on the wing. He has, but he's not getting playing time at, at Tijuana, so he hasn't been called in. <clears throat> so think about all those guys, right? There is depth. It just wasn't available for this this go around. So that's why you know this group struggled the way it did. Ivis, next question comes from Luis Castro. Is it true Juan Francisco Palencia will be Chivas USA's new coach next season? That's the hot rumor. That's the news making the rounds, being reported by Mexican media uh, and Mexican-American media. It, it, it seems like it's a done deal. Uh, it's not too surprising. Uh, it, you know, they got the revolving door going on over there. And, and Palencia, former Chivas USA player, he's been around the team for a while. Uh, you want to see how he does as a, as a coach. You know, it's just tough to say. I mean, hopefully he's a better coach than he is in a TV interview, as we all saw when he was on the HBO Real Sports show uh, defending Chivas USA against claims of racism. It wasn't his. It was not his finest hour. But hey, he's a very, real well-respected player. Uh, at, you know, in his day, you know, with the obviously Mexican national team legend, uh, and then he did well in MLS too when he played for Chivas USA. So, you know what? That'll be an interesting one to watch. Uh, you know what? Maybe it works out. Yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not ready to rule it out. You know, usually Chivas USA goes against the grain, but look, they're copying the rest of the league and hiring someone who has no experience. So you know, hey, Chivas USA, man, getting getting uh, getting with the program here. <laughs> well, you know, they figure you know we've tried the experience <laughs> guy, so let's try some. Let's try. Let's try to go. Uh, let, let's see if we can make Palencia our Mike Petke. Yeah. So Chivas USA. I mean, if it doesn't work out, they could just kind of then just blame everyone else, saying, "Hey, you, you know, you guys, this was the trend. You forced us to follow the trend." So hey, look, there's their scapegoat. That's what I, you know. What? Yeah, I think they're just assimilating now. They're just going to do whatever the league does and try to avoid any lawsuits. I mean, I, I'm hearing things where apparently, you know. Some of the Mexican players that they had brought in, they're going to move out now, and, and they're going to try to you know de-Mexicanize the team. There's all there's all sorts of talk going around about that team. Um, I, you know what? I just hope they put a respectable team out because uh, you know a, a league is is only as strong as its weakest link, and and, and you, you want to see 19 competitive teams and at least not have a team to be as uncompetitive as they've been. Yeah, I, I just watched them lose to a PDL team the other day with some of their starters. It was uh, they lost. I it, didn't even realize. Yeah, a 17 year old kid scored the match winner at the end of the game. I mean, That's I think pretty... Eric Torres is out there. Bocanegra is out there. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty ugly. I'm sure they wanted no part of being there. So. Yeah, to be, to yeah, be fair, to I know. Be fair. But I mean, their season's been over for yeah, a month. Yeah, but they're playing a they PDL got a team. They to Arizona, playing a friendly they could care less about. I'm not going to kill them too much for that. I yeah, but you're they're, you're playing against a bunch of guys they picked up at the park. Guys that play like on you my on my Those co-ed team. Playing, like they're they're playing for their lives. They're playing thinking that some scout's going to watch them and sign that them. That is true. Game, so they are getting the absolute best from these guys. Meanwhile, they don't even care. Ivis, that wraps up today's show, man. Yeah, not our finest hour. No. But we got through it. <laughs> 
They, we did all right. We did all right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, well, man, we're, just strugg- we're struggling to the finish line, folks. Let's just keep it real. It's episode ninety-two. We after this, we have seven more to go, and then episode one hundred uh, at MLS Cup, wherever wherever that may be. It's going to be Kansas City, Real Salt Lake, or Portland. Could still be there. So uh, <clears throat> we're looking forward to that. We just try to keep it together and, and try to give you somewhat decent shows for the next seven. Uh, I can tell you one thing: we're going to have some good intro music because I've definitely stepped it up. Uh, I've had to have to go digging in the crates <clears throat> for some new music because we were kind of running low. It's tough to find. Uh, for those of you who are not aware about the criteria for my intro music, for you know, it's all hip hop music. Generally, it's East Coast, but I don't discriminate. You know, I, I have had a couple West Coast and South tracks in there, but it, it, any song that is on the intro has to be at least ten years old. Uh, and generally, I like to try to keep it in the '90s. Try to really keep it old school, but sometimes I'll push it. I'll push it to to ten years ago. Ten years ago is the limit. So uh, I, I did find it funny that the last show uh, we had a beat from the Beat Nuts, and uh, someone actually, you know, it's a classic. Yeah, beat. he called me great, out. No, 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 no. Listen, it, it, it's a classic beat, a great song, uh, but unfortunately, J Lo, Jennifer Lopez made her own song and basically jacked the beat. So, so one of our readers, I guess, had only heard that song and was and was gripping us for playing a J-Lo song as an intro. I can tell you right now, folks, we are not going to have any J-Lo slash poppy intro songs. We're going to have straight hip-hop intro songs as long as we have SBI show. I can't speak for the, the riffraff that Garrett plays at the end. My I stuff's not even that bad. Listen. I got to keep it real. I don't listen to it because I, I fear. I fear the stuff Garrett's putting on at the end of the show. But I can tell you, I can promise you, at the beginning of the show, it's going to be some quality hip hop. It's going to be some songs you're going to want to uh, you know, download off iTunes and listen to because I'm, I'm, I, I try to bring the heat on the intro music. Also, you made it seem like the show's the show for Okay, someone messaged me on Twitter. We're not going to end the show when we get to 100. So when obviously you may seem like we're going to end the show when we get to it, you're like, we're winding no, down no, to 100. We're going to keep it going. It's just, you know what? It, it, it's a grind. It's a great, it's fun. We love, we love doing it. But, you know, Garrett and I both, are, you know, we both do a lot of things. It's tough to get, it's tough to squeeze it in, especially we're doing three shows a week now. So, uh, you know, we, we'll keep it going, right? You know, the, the next step for us is to, is to work out a sponsorship and, uh, and get somebody on board to sponsor because we have the audience. I mean, all the numbers uh, suggest we're doing really, really well. So we need to parlay that in, uh, on the business side. That's up to us. But, uh, you know, I can tell you one thing, and I know I can speak for Garrett. Uh, when we meet people who listen to the show and, and we get the kind words from you guys, it definitely makes it worthwhile. Yeah, it's cool. So- you know, you guys are listening, and uh, you know that definitely makes it you know makes it worthwhile. As I always say, I assume everyone hates me. So when people say they like the show, I'm always just like, I'm always like, oh, thank you so much. I'm waiting for the well, one they, person who's gonna walk they, up and be they, like, you they, suck. They're, they're all expect. Well, probably when they meet you, they're surprised how you look. Cause they all probably think you're a five one ginger. So they which have no which idea. I am not <laughs> at all. I don't know. You know what? I, I've never actually met. Uh, I've never met Garrett in person, so I don't know. You know. Who knows how he looks? I, you know, he could look like uh, the midget from Game of Thrones, or you know, he look he could look like Alexi Loss. I have no idea. Or I could look like George Clooney. That's a possibility. Definitely don't look like George Clooney. I, you don't know. You've never seen me in real life. Seen your Facebook page. You definitely don't. I know like you me. creep on it all the you time. Look like, it's you look like me young out. Richard Branson. <laughs> That's who you look like. Richard Branson. I gotta look that up real quick. What do you look like? He's the, he's the owner of Virgin. I don't have long hair like that. I used to have long hair like that. There, there's one pic. There's one picture that I saw of you that you 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 
go. Oh, oh, when I when I was a wakeboard instructor in the yeah, Bahamas. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You were looking just like him. So. Uh, dude, I, I was yeah, that was uh that was that was a good summer. Uh all right man. We we rambled way too long for for the out of the show. So uh you have a good night. You enjoy watching Mexico if you don't fall asleep during the game. I am going to sleep right now. <laughs> I will watch I need Mexico. A good night. I need a good night's sleep. I, I don't need to watch Mexico beat up New Zealand again. Uh, Ivis and I will be back again later this week. We will have a show on Friday. We'll be talking MLS. MLS will be getting back. More MLS on that show. Ivis, College Cup, and tons of other news. So uh, you, have a, you have a good night, man. I'll talk to you later this week. Uh, well, before I forget, yes, uh, I forgot to mention, uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm actually heading out to Kansas City. Uh, this weekend, I will be at uh, Sporting Park for the Sporting KC Houston Dynamo match. And uh, and then I'll be hopping a plane to Portland for the Timbers RSL showdown. I know some people think that series is over. Trust me, folks, it's not over. That series is going to still, there's still going to be some fireworks. I think that game's going to be going to be uh, a pretty special event, whether RSL holds on or whether Portland pulls off the comeback. It's gonna be a good weekend, and it's it feels like MLS hasn't played in, mu- in like a month, right? I mean, yeah, it's no. like forever. But these are two games that I'm definitely looking forward to seeing. Of course, there's gonna be fireworks at that game. I mean, RSL is gonna hang probably at least five or six on Portland for sure. Well, we know how good they are on on the road when they, you know they like to attack and throw all kinds of numbers forward. Like, oh, totally, man. No possession. Yeah, just knock the ball forward. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> yeah. That's how they. That's how the folks in LA remember that one. Yeah. Um, all right, Davis. That wraps it up, man. I'll talk to you on Thursday night. We'll have a yes, show sir. on Friday, man. Let's do it. All right. And as always, everyone, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for the new reviews on iTunes, and we will be back again later this week. This is the SBI Show. <laughs>